Hey there, welcome to the Marketing Happy Hour podcast, where each week we're learning career-defining advice, powerful social media strategies, unique creative tips, groundbreaking influencer marketing tactics, and more from marketing experts that represent some of the world's leading brands. Let's dive in. Grab a drink and join your hosts, Cassie and Erica, for this week's episode. This week, we're chatting with Ashley Head, digital content manager at L'Oreal, specifically for the Lancome skincare sector. On this episode, Ashley offers a unique insight to the true power of networking, advocating for yourself, the nitty gritty of working in digital marketing, and practical advice around briefing, content creation, and the future of digital. I've known Ashley since I was about 10 years old, and I've had the pleasure to watch her career blossom over the years. I'm excited for you to get an inside look at her amazing story and hear her tips she shared just for you. To set the stage for today's discussion, I want to define what a metaverse is. You've probably heard this term tossed around quite a bit recently, but just in case, I pulled a really great description from Vice that says, it's a 3D model of the internet basically a place parallel to the physical world where you spend your digital life. This definition is going to come into play here soon, but in the meantime, grab a drink and listen in with us. Hey, Ashley, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good. Eric and I are so excited to talk to you today and you and I have known each other forever and we did one of our first internships together in 2015, which is wild to think about, but you've come a long way since then. And so we'll talk about all of those things. But before we jump in, we have a very important question for you that we ask all of our guests. What is in your glass tonight? Because it is marketing happy hour after all. Yes. So currently I'm still at my office. So right now I'm just drinking a big thing of water, which I drink so much water all day long. Um, but if I was out of the office and able to have a cocktail right now, I'm like utterly obsessed with spicy margaritas as of like the last year, I never drink tequila ever before this. And now I like crave a spicy margarita every weekend. So if I could, that's what I'd be drinking. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to jump in there and ask you if you've tried Onda because I'm, Cassie's laughing because she knows I'm going to ask this, but have you tried Onda? It's um, no. Shea Mitchell's seltzer brand, tequila seltzer oh brand. It's so good. And if you like a good spicy margarita, I would recommend adding like tahini and some jalapenos to one of those and you'll, you'll love okay. it. Okay. Wow, Erica, I'm literally going to order this because I am like addicted, not actually addicted, but like if I'm going to have a cocktail, that sounds like my dream drink. And I already have like um, tahini, like the big bottle in my cabinet. I like buy jalapeno, I'll slice them up if I'm making one at home. So I definitely need to try that. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Well, I am also on the water train here. I'm about to go work out after this. So I nice. uh, can't really indulge in my typical <laughs> wine, but that's what I have going on. Yes. Nice. Same seltzer. So form of water, but water all around, which is totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep hydrated all day long. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Hydration over here. Um, yes. Well, Ashley, super excited to dive in. Um, super excited to learn from you. Can you just tell us a bit about your background prior to starting with L'Oreal and the process of landing the position you're currently in? Yes, absolutely. So 
I currently am the content manager for Lancome Skin in the US market. And prior to that, like I'll just take you back to when I was in college. Um, in college, I knew I wanted to do something super creative. I always knew since I was 12 years old, I wanted to move to New York City and I wanted to like have a really exciting, thriving career. So I was always driven by that idea of moving to New York. And in college, I was very open to the idea of just doing something in a creative realm, whether that be beauty, music, fashion. I was kind of all over the place, but very interested in anything digital um, and honestly writing as well. I love to write and that's my major was English editing, writing and media, which was kind of like a hybrid of digital communications and English. So it was kind of a hodgepodge major, but it honestly, it was like the ideal thing because I got to kind of dip my toes in all different areas during college. Um, during my time at Florida State, I created with two other amazing individuals, Natalie and um, Hannah, a magazine on campus called Strike. And it was a lifestyle publication that kind of took into account um, music, fashion, makeup, um, kind of news events, everything. And it was supposed to be like a version of, you know, a campus magazine that wasn't just targeted to women, but everyone on campus. And um, I ran all different content shoots during my time on the, um, during the magazine. And that's where I really got a ton of experience with like creating content. And we had a staff of 54 people at that point. So it was a lot of experience of like managing um, all different teams from PR to finance to, you know, marketing um, to styling. So that was an incredible experience. And it's really cool because now it's on all different campuses, um, probably like seven different campuses around the country. So it's really cool. Oh, I um, yeah, so that was awesome. So during that time, I like really started to get excited about creating content. And I knew that was something I wanted to pursue when I graduated. Um, so it's very interesting. And sorry, this is like a very long-winded <laughs> answer. But I, in March of 2017, before I graduated, applied to probably four positions at L'Oreal. And since L'Oreal, and for anyone that doesn't know, L'Oreal owns about 35 different brands. People always think of L'Oreal as what you see as like, L'Oreal Paris on commercials or L'Oreal hair care, but L'Oreal is a huge conglomerate that owns everything from Garnier Fructis to Giorgio Armani makeup to Ralph Lauren fragrances to Lancome to Maybelline. Like it really is just a huge conglomerate of all different brands. Um, but anyways, I applied to lots of different roles. And when I applied, I felt like I was just dropping my application in a big black hole, which was really stressful. And for anyone in college, I have a lot of sympathy for that like stressful feeling of just, you know, applying somewhere and not knowing when or how, or if you will ever hear back, because that's definitely how I felt um, during my senior year. So I did that, heard absolutely nothing. And I was just applying to all different companies, publications, magazines, music industry things, everywhere and anything that was creative. Um, I graduated not knowing where I was going to go, but I knew I was going to fly up to New York and I had the luxury of staying with my aunt and uncle who live on the Upper West Side for a month and I just networked nonstop. I would go and like <laughs> meet with anyone and everyone that someone I knew was connected to and I just started like, building connections. 
Um, one day, randomly, a girl that I had studied abroad with DM'd me on Instagram. I had not spoken to her in like two years and her name's Maria and I'm internally grateful for her, but she DM'd me. She saw that I was in New York and she was like, hey girl, um, my internship is wrapping up at L'Oreal. I feel like you would be an incredible like fit for the role that I'm completing. Do you have any interest? And I was like, Maria, do I have interest? I applied to so many positions. I never heard back. And I was just like, so thrilled. And she was like, oh my God, awesome. Like you have such great experience from like your time in college. Like, why don't you come to the office and I can just show you around and like talk to you about the role. So long story short, she did that. And that was really like the best thing to happen because she was able to directly connect me to a hiring manager. And I went through a very gruesome, difficult interview process of like three or four separate interviews with different people. And I got the internship and the way it works at L'Oreal is you get a 12 month trial run within the company to see if you're a good fit, if you you know can make it to a full-time employment. Um, so I did that for one year and it, it was incredible. I learned more than I could have ever imagined. I was um, primarily on Maybelline doing shopper marketing. It was a 12 month intern. And during that time you are treated like you're a full employee, but you're not, you're not fully like, you know, baked into the company. You're not getting like your benefits. You're getting paid decently, but you're not like full time. And they have no agreement to hire you on after that. So it is a little stressful because you spend that year like building connections, working extremely hard. And then you really don't know what's going to come out of that. Um, but I was, yeah, it was very scary, but also like you felt really supported throughout the process and HR was really helpful with, you know, connecting you to people um, based on your interests. So I was super um, vocal that I wanted to do something in digital. So either social or um, PR or market, like I was really open to it, but I knew I wanted to be creative and at the tail end of the internship, once you hit about month 10, you can start inter um, interviewing internally with the company. So there are a few different roles open and um, there was like a dream role open at Kiehl's, um, which is an amazing skincare brand that operates almost like an indie brand for L'Oreal. And it's such a cool brand with a lot of um, amazing like the whole ethos behind the brand is just really incredible. And I met with the woman that became my boss and it was a social media coordinator role. And I was able to get that role, start doing community management, um, which shout out to any community managers out there because it is a very, <laughs> it's a very taxing role and it, there's a lot that goes into it, but I did that for a while. And then I started being able to kind of be creative and do Instagram stories and then that's where I started to really find my um, knit, like niche. And I just like really loved creating content. And um, I got to start traveling to influencer events all over the place. And yeah, this is a really long answer now. So anyways, I did that for almost three. I got promoted and became like the, the content strategist for all organic social. And then I did that for almost three years. And then now I'm at Lancome, which I'm sure we'll get into, but that's that's how I got here. <laughs> I'm sorry oh that I just gave you the longest answer. 
<laughs> no, yeah. that was so good. And you weaved in so many great lessons already, which we'll get to career lessons that you want to share and everything, but just the power of connections and maintaining relationships over time, like yes. you and I did and having you on the podcast, yeah. you know, that is so powerful. And that's obviously what led you to where you are today. So Absolutely. kudos to you for that. And that's just amazing and thankful for her for connecting you to that hiring manager Seriously. and just some amazing <laughs> lessons in there. So go out, network connect with people. It's a powerful thing. So we would love to hear a little bit of the behind the scenes. So with you and your content creation process, how do you strategize and kind of brainstorm and plan for content at Lancome? And how do you identify content gaps and upcoming trends to activate as well? Yeah, that's an amazing question. So a lot to unpack here. Um, Lancome is a French based brand. So L'Oreal, like our headquarters for the United States is in New York, but it's a French brand um, and Lancome is Lancome Paris. So we have our, what we call a DMI, which is our global team that sits in France. And as you can imagine, the French version of beauty and like the French aesthetic is oftentimes very different than what is resonating in the U.S., so I would say, and we can dive into this deeper, but that is my biggest challenge and my biggest, you know, excitement in my role is how to make a brand um, relevant in the United States that, of course, you know, is a super well-known brand, but in the mix of all these incredible independent makeup companies that have been popping up over the last like five years, how do you stay relevant in a ever-changing market um, in the beauty industry? So planning for content is for me, I have to follow a global vision that the brand sets in stone. But what I have to do is see, you know, for campaigns or new launches, you know, we see the content, we review it, and then I have to establish where there are content gaps within the U.S. And for me, I mean, everything that is super, you know, significant in the United States, you know, ties into diversity, representation, um, showing real skin, nothing retouched, nothing that shows that it's been touched on Photoshop. And that is where there is a struggle that, you know, this idea of beauty is different um, in different areas of the world. But here, the authenticity is always what is going to resonate with consumers. Um, so that is where I kind of have to assess these gaps. So for example, we just had like our tier A huge launch and it's called triple C or HCF triple serum. And it's this incredible facial serum, right? And the French market that is our global market hands us all these great assets, but they're super overproduced. Yeah. So you have like the actors from Mean Girls, Amanda Seyfried, or I don't even know all these different um, movies or TV shows that she's been on. And she's like this, you know, A-lister actress and she's in commercials and you know, she's representing the product, which is great. And you need that visibility, but like, how is it going to resonate with a U.S. shopper? So I assessed all the content that we received for this campaign and saw that there was no real women of all the different ages represented. So then I had to develop and produce a huge uh, video shoot that had women express their opinions on the product in a very testimonial manner. And that was a really exciting concept for me because I got to work with a casting director and really nail what is a real woman that looks relatable, but also has that aspirational beauty look that is innate to Lancome. 
And that is a challenge because you want to inspire and like, you know, show this gorgeous, beautiful skin that has a youthful radiance to it. But you also want to show someone that has not been, you know, has a ton of Botox or filler in their face. So there's a lot of balancing that because that is super trendy in the US too. So as you can see, it's a challenge, but something like that is um, really important and exciting. So I got to interview um, five different women from the ages of, I believe, 28 to 65, and really understand what their experience was with the products, you know, them applying it on their skin, like what is beauty to them, what is aging gracefully, what does that mean to them, and, you know, balance emotional content with actual like hard-hitting claims and benefits from the product. Um, so that's really exciting, and that's a shoot that I did in November, and now it is running in Sephora Media this week, starting like, or no, last week it started. So it's really fun. Now we're getting to see media results um, and see how it performs in the campaign, which is exciting. That's great. And I feel like I can relate as well. Um, I worked in the beauty industry at, for a hair care brand and oh, awesome. types of challenges um, just in creating content uh, yeah. in the US. And there were a few of our international partners that sold our products that definitely had different messaging. Um, we definitely ran into some struggles with that, but it was really cool to just hear how you were able to take that and run and kind of just yeah. make sure that that all these different voices were represented. So that's, that's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. And even, yeah, it's even things like, for example, you know, I'm specific in skincare, but my partners on my content team do makeup and fragrance too for Lancome. And something as simple as in other areas, anti-aging is perfectly fine to say. Like you're fully marketing it as a product that's anti-aging. But for the US consumer, and as you know, the three of us are all consumers of products here, that has a negative connotation to it, right? Anti-aging. We're all gonna age though. We're all going to, you know, get older. And what does that mean? You should embrace that, right? And it it's so different here because and thank God, like we're in this, you know, time where mental health and also just embracing who you are is so important and is very, um, thankfully is really pushed right now all over like online and on social media. So that wouldn't work here to just like put it in a negative light instead here, it's like, you know, just talking really about ingredients and what are their benefits and like, what are the results? Because the, also the U S you know, consumers super knowledgeable on like hard hitting, you know, result driven content. Um, but yeah, just certain things like that, or just showing women, you know, that are like all different types of women showing diversity. So also showing like size diversity, showing different skin types, different skin concerns, and not just having one idea of beauty and not to say that Lancome, like the, the global brand does that, but it just has to be really specific over here in the West. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I have a, a follow-up to that. Yeah. Um, when how reactive are you to trends in the market and how reactive are you to trends on social media, even, even creating content, um, to go out publicly. Um, yeah. I just love to share the behind the scenes of that. Yeah. I love that question. So to be honest, I wish that we could be more reactive, but being a part of a huge, huge company, there's a lot of legal implications and a lot of um, things you have to get approved. So for example, I'll take you to like when I ran social at Kiehl's, um, 
if you guys remember when that Bernie Sanders like meme was going around where he was like in the coat and like sitting, you know, I don't even, I forget when it was from like the inauguration or something. We thought it would be so funny to put like Bernie Sanders on like a moisturizer and say like Bernie says to keep your skin hydrated or whatever, you know, like something like that. And we like run it by the team and they're like, absolutely no, we can never do that. Like we have no rights to that. Um, but a, a different brand that is like independent and, you know, isn't at, doesn't have as many followers or not as many eyes on it, like definitely could do that and be seen as way more trendy and fun and exciting. So in some ways I wish we could be more reactive, but the way that we kind of can tap into that in the best way possible is my partner on my team, Willow, who runs, she has my same job, but on the makeup category. Um, she's having to shoot on Friday to do long co makeup looks for Euphoria. So based off of all the Euphoria trends, and then we'll make um, all different pins for Pinterest and like do step-by-step -step routines. So like, that's a way we can tap into like a trending or exciting moment that like, we don't have all the legal implications. Um, for me with skincare, there's less like, you know, day in and day out trends that are happening. That's more like overarching ideas that are going on throughout the year but like right now on TikTok I'm seeing all these girls talk about and guys talking about slugging like skincare which is like putting like Vaseline yeah. all over the face yeah and like loading up all this moisture and then going to sleep and having like perfectly hydrated moisturized skin in the morning so like that's something that if I wanted to like try to have like a reactive photo shoot on something thinking of how do we tap into that but I think it's also being mindful of does it make sense for your brand to tap into a trend or are you just going to look like you're on the bandwagon because some things don't work for brands and like you shouldn't i can't go make long comb something that it's not or you know kind of pull it it is a, like a luxury brand and can't always you know want to tap into everything that like could be fun i love that yeah. and i have a follow-up about something you said earlier you mentioned how the french team presented an idea they have this campaign with Amanda and it was something that you didn't feel would translate well in the US market. How do you, so for someone that is kind of in a similar place where they need to share this feedback and present new ideas and push back essentially, mm -hmm. a lot of people that can kind of be a scary situation to go to a team like that and say, this isn't yeah. gonna work. I think we need to do X, Y, Z instead. Um, and this is kind of more of a career driven question, but do you have any tips for presenting new ideas or sharing that feedback to people in a, a really great, educated, uh, confident manner? Yeah, I think that's such a good question because it is such a growing pain that you kind of have to go through in your career to know how to speak up in a way that is, you know, respectful, but also getting your point across. Um, yeah, I would say in that particular vein um, for that you know, project, it is difficult because of course we're going to have to use the beautiful assets that they create as we launch a campaign, but it's kind of like the subsequent content that comes after a launch. How are we kind of driving that? Um, and I had a lot of ideas. And when I first presented them to um, my coworker on the, on the French side, you know, it is intimidating. And I'm not gonna lie that it's not intimidating because you're talking to people that you know, run the brand and create like the skeleton of the brand and you're kind of like the bits and pieces that get added to it. Um, I think it's really just thinking clearly about why, you know, having the right reasons behind what you're going to propose to the person. So having, you know, the confidence in yourself to eloquently speak to it, but also having 
data to support it is a really big <laughs> indicator that you did your homework. If I can visually show that, you know, this media is going to perform better because based on X, Y, and Z from a previous campaign shows that, you know, institutional assets do not perform as strongly as more um, non, not overly produced content, then I can kind of have a reason to show, hey, you know, we put X amount of spend behind this and these are the results that were driven. I think also just sharing your point of view, like you should feel confident that you have an opinion that matters. And even if they don't agree with it, that's totally fine too. You know, it's not, it's not going to be wrong to share your opinion. They hired you for a reason. They hired you so that you would have an opinion, have a point of view, have an experience that, you know, you have something to bring to the table. Um, and you can't always think that it's going to be you know, taken into account and then acted upon, but at least they'll respect you for bringing it up and having a voice. And that's something I actually wrote down before we talked that I wanted to say is a tip for anyone listening that feels nervous to talk. And that was me a lot in my first year at L'Oreal. I always kind of felt like I'm going to sit back and just listen, which is great. You should listen. There's a lot to be learned from people around the table, but I would notice all the time that I would be quiet and then someone across from me or next to me would say exactly what I was thinking. And I was like, oh, I could have said it and I could have added something to it. But now if I speak up, it's just going to sound like I'm piggybacking. And if I would have just had the confidence to share the idea from the start, I could have been seen as someone that like was confident, even though I was super young. Um, so not being afraid to share your opinions, I think is, is great. Yes, that is so, so good. Thank you for that advice. Yeah. Um, something that people can definitely take away. I mean, I was just thinking as you were talking, like imagine all of the campaigns, all the products that wouldn't have been launched if just one person decided to stay quiet and not step up. Exactly. So just thinking about that and thinking about how much of you as an individual, especially like you said, if they hire you for a reason to be in a certain position, cause they see this potential, you can make so many great things happen and you play a key role in your organization. So, um, totally that agree. alone, yeah, that alone should just help you be confident enough to speak up in those kind of situations. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So switching back kind of to the social media side of things, yeah. um, there's a lot of things happening in the world of marketing and social media. So many platforms are evolving, a lot of new directions. What do you say in your opinion is sort of the future of social media content? And then for you and your team, what are some of the things that you're trying to kind of adapt towards? So we have videos, obviously a big one that's already in, in the works mm -hmm. and um, happening everywhere but there's the metaverse, there's all of these weird things happening. So what are you guys working on to kind of start evolving in those directions? Yeah, I love that question as well. So yeah, I mean, for starters, I think it's so interesting to think about how Instagram used to be viewed as like a photo platform and now it's fully video, like they are favoring video way more in the algorithm as everyone can see, but also just the fact that, you know, you post a still photo now and it's not going to get nearly as many, you know, views or eyes on it because video is just going to rule time and time again. Also, you have to think that Instagram as, you know, successful as it is, is, you know, not, it's not the new fresh, you know, platform like TikTok is where people are wanting to post video and feel more innately expressive on that platform and less restricted as they do on Instagram. It's hard to get the 
picture perfect millennial idea out of people's head on Instagram. And I think TikTok was just born in this world of authenticity and not being scared to express yourself and be weird and be creative and funny. So I think that in of itself is just shows that video rules um, over still content right now. So I think that's something to keep in mind that like, if I was still running social specifically, I would definitely, you know, put more emphasis on video. Um, for me, in my current role, I, I work on content from a 360 perspective. So organic social content, yes, sure, but also like product detail page content for the website, you know, content for retailers like Sephora, Ulta, and um, even like advertisements, TV advertisements, like, how, you know, anything US specific in that world. So I still have to create still content is my point, but video is definitely the preference. Um, I think all of this talk about VR and metaverse is extremely interesting. I want to be upskilled beyond belief on this. I have a lot of feelings on it. Um, I have personal feelings on it and then I have business feelings on it. I think what's going to be so interesting is to see how every single different industry is going to adapt and have to involve themselves in some way or another into this new technology. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to speak as eloquently or smart because I'm not the most educated in all realms on it, but I think you have to think that any type of advertisements, you know, you see right now, there's a separation, you're watching it, you know, you're not involved in it physically. I think what's going to completely shift, I don't know how soon, is that you will literally in a sensorial way be almost like embedded in an advertisement virtually, right? So there's so much potential in all different industries to get involved. So let's say you take beauty, for example, or, you know, I don't know, can you, you know, feel like you're in a store when it's being, you know, there's so many different ways that different industries can get involved and have sub, like substantial, you know, leads because their consumer is going to feel the experience of the product so much different in a metaverse, in a virtual world, than they do traditional advertisement, right? Nothing is going to be better than physically being in this world. And I feel very confident about that. But I mean, I don't know. I just think advertising is going to completely shift. Um, for the beauty world, for L'Oreal, I actually have a training in like two weeks all about the metaverse. So like you think about like a big company has to jump on these things super quickly. How is some, something like L'Oreal going to get involved with NFTs? How are they going to get involved with advertising the metaverse eventually? VR, you think I had a whole meeting this week on virtual try-on, so a skin analysis tool. So if I go on Longcomb's website and I want to get my skin um, checked for them to see what level my wrinkles are versus like fine lines versus dark spots, like you can scan on the website. That's just technology that, you know, you have to be where the consumer is at and they're on their phone. How do you get them to, you know, have the experience that they would have in store with a beauty advisor talking to them and looking at their skin? Well, you have to create technology that offers them that experience virtually. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of ways. I think trying on clothing, it's gonna be super interesting, beauty products, you know, anything and everything. I think it's gonna completely shift everything that we know as it is today. I think it's super, super interesting. I mean, you think of our parents not walking around with the ability to have the entire world in their pocket and any answer that they want with the click of a button. 
I think we're going to be able to be anywhere we want with a click of a button. We're going to be able to That's see someone, you know, like, I just think, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I, our exciting. kids are going to be like, we'll think about our parents, how they didn't yeah. have this metaverse. We right. couldn't go try on clothes virtually and, and make sure that right. they look good for their trip to Cabo or whatever. Right. It's so, so interesting. Crazy. Yeah. It's going to completely shift everything in the way that we see digital and the way that we experience anything that we want to buy or sell. It's, it's, it's so insane to think about the way every single industry is going to change and evolve and adapt. Um, but I think you also have to balance real life and not being too involved in that and, you know, having space to, to experience real experiences too. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see it all unfold because at one point you're kind of like, this is scary. Do I even want to yeah. participate in this? And then the other point is like, it, well, if I don't hop on it now and learn as much as I can about it now, then I'll never, you know, I'll be behind the, behind right. the trends and kind of time. So that's definitely really interesting to hear about your experience with that and right. how you guys are already kind of approaching that at L'Oreal. Cause I, I also just sat through an NFT presentation wow. about how brands use NFTs and how influencers can even use NFTs. And I was mind blown, but right. I guess it just breeds this idea of exclusivity and like an exclusive experience when you think of NFTs, but the metaverse, I mean, I guess anyone that has the ability to enter it can enter it, but I think there will be a lot of exclusivity like elements to it, um, which I think as you will about that, but <laughs> it's just very crazy. <laughs> But yeah, I, I agree with you of like, you know, you're going to miss the train if you don't jump on it now. I was at, I was at a table, like a, at a dinner the other night with um, my aunt and uncle and my cousins, and we were all talking about it and my boyfriend, and we were all kind of like sharing what we thought about it. And my aunt and uncle had literally no idea what we were talking about. They're like, metaverse, what is that? Do I need it? Like, and we try to explain it to them and they're just like, I have no interest. Right. And that's fine. You know, like, I don't think everyone needs to be like super, super involved in it if they're not interested in it, but it's just going to completely take over in the next, you know, five, 10 years. So, yeah, absolutely. And I know with everything, anyone in marketing is kind of towing this line of thinking about these, these things coming up in the marketing and digital space, essentially, right. but also things that you're currently working in, in a given time, the campaigns you're focusing on the products, yes. how do you kind of approach that mentally, um, trying to figure out, okay, how do I focus on what we're doing now while also kind of planning for what's ahead, trying to figure out how can we evolve proactively before it actually mm -hmm. happens. And we have to kind of be reactive. I know it's kind of a deep question, but no, I, I, I'm, yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard because I think of just traditional marketing too, like everything we're working on is so far ahead anyways, right? Like from a product standpoint, when you're launching a product. So like today I had meetings on the product that were launching in 2023, right? And like understanding our positioning on that product, what the competitive landscape is gonna look like that product versus um, competitor brands. And so I've always kind of, ever since I've been at this company, I've always thought way ahead in the sense of product launches. So now that I'm thinking of like technology, going through a huge evolution, like the biggest one that I think we've seen in, you know, 10 years. Um, and the most significant one that we will see, I think like, it really is hard to think, okay, how do we balance these two concepts going on at the same time? I think 
for me, it's using my time outside of work to educate myself. Like it's not something that I can sit and spend, you know, time reading about what all, all these things mean or what, how they're going to develop. It's like, I'm interested in like listening to podcasts or reading articles about it, or just having discussions like this with people in my life to think what their opinions are on it. And then taking that and thinking, how could, how do I see this being implemented in my own industry? And I think right now, like anybody that's in various industries can think and be ahead of the game on like, how do you think you could come to the table and see how it might fit in, right? Like, I don't know, it, it's, it's hard to say, but like we're young and we can like see through how it's going to be so involved in our lives soon. So kind of just coming to the table with your manager or the higher ups and like having a conversation of like how this likely will be something we really have to think through in the near future. Um, but also like signing up to be educated, like doing the virtual or the course that I'm going to do in a couple of weeks. Like that's an op, you know, an optional offering that L'Oreal is giving, but I'm like, okay, absolutely. I want to like take that course and, and learn about it because it's a great opportunity. Definitely. There's nothing wrong with learning about it. And I'm thinking too, as we're chatting, it's gotta be even harder with like a, a legacy or a luxury brand, like yeah. <laughs> They've been around forever. They've been established and they've, right. but they're currently doing works for them. Right. And it, it might be hard to kind of communicate why they'll need to innovate with technology as we approach mm -hmm. that. So absolutely interested to yeah. see what happens there. Me too. Um, but rewinding just a little bit, um, we wanted to hear a little bit about how you um, currently create content. So how have you utilized mm -hmm. A-B testing with your different audiences as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So currently, I mean, an example of how we AB test is um, on our website. So creating like two different versions of what we call them PDPs. That's just like an acronym um, for product detail page. So it's the page on a website where if you hit a particular product, it's where you see all the imagery, all the text of like what the ingredient is, what the benefits are, a video um, and explaining the whole product. So a way that we could A-B test is like, we have you know our global assets um, that are super produced and we do like that's test A versus test B, which is something that maybe, you know, like I had shot a few of those assets and see how it performs against each other. Mine being a little bit less produced, a little bit more like Sephora friendly, where like texture swipe on skin, on non like super perfect skin, um, or just lifestyle content, and then just seeing how those perform against each other. What's interesting is like different ages, content performs different too, you know, so if you're targeting someone over 45 versus someone 28, you know, there might be a different, um, a different result. But yeah, I mean, the way we produce content right now is like, it's exciting. I mean, I'm always briefing our internal agency. So I'll like develop an entire conceptual like brief of everything I need to capture. It's a lot of budgeting of like how much money you have for a given shoot and what you can make do and make the most of your day on set. But I love set days. I love going on set and getting to work with a whole crew of like the producer, the director, the all the camera people, the DPs. Like it's so amazing to see how much effort goes into a shoot. And I have so much appreciation for the process now because I'm a a part of it and I just always think of like the average consumer no shade to them at all you just have no idea that what goes into a photo and everyone rightfully so feels like a photographer now with their phone and 
they are, you are a photographer and you can take amazing photos with your phone, but you have no idea how much goes into like professional photography or videography. And so I just have so much fun, you know, coming up with a concept, creating a brief, briefing an agency, working with the agency, going on set, and then so much goes into post-production too. So that's a lot of my job too, is like edits upon edits of like, what music goes well with the the video, what supers, which are like, you know, the text that comes on screen, like all of that is kind of coming from me and my product marketers like help, um, but like the vision just seeing it come from conception to fruition is just like super rewarding. Um, so that's kind of how we create content. It's a, it's a long process, but usually like a month and a half out, we're briefing and then we, we plan that way. So Ashley, we've talked a lot about social and website content creation, but I know you also work on projects for Out of Home, magazine, TV and streaming and more. So I'd love to hear just depending on the medium there, how is the look and feel different in your messaging? Yeah, that's a really good question too, because I think it can look super different while still being cohesive and aligned with the campaign as a whole, but you have to think that the platform is so different and is served to such a specific audience. So you have to take that into account when you're kind of divvying up what your content is going to look like. So for example, a TV commercial, which we get from our global team, um, has to be a heroic overarching message. And it has to have a story arc within it um, because you have to grab someone's attention at the front. You have to kind of keep them for that 15 to 30 seconds and likely have a call to action at the end or something that they can remember, right? And like, that's not going to be the same piece of content that is run on organic social when someone's already following the brand and understands like what your ethos is. So for example, a commercial, like I said, would have a story overarching arc and be super um, specific, not specific. I, I honestly think it's trying to tell a really like big message in a quick amount of time, but kind of hit on everything, but not and go into detail, right? And you don't have a caption, so you don't get to leave your viewer with anything after the commercial stops. Um, so we recently, my boss and I got to work not on, um, you know, the big overarching Amanda Seaford or Zendaya commercial, but we got to create like a tagline on the end that tied to the retailer. And one of our biggest challenges is like, so for example, it's a gift with purchase at Macy's and you, that's a very localized um, specific thing to add in your market. So like that's something going on in the United States across all different Macy's around the country. You can get this gift with purchase if you buy the product, right? And typically, and you'll notice this now after hearing this, because now I notice this all the time with like different brands. Um, when they have these taglines, they're often very jarring after the commercial. Like it'll just like completely switch visually to this like different asset. And it's like, come into Macy's and you'll get X, Y, and Z. And it like looks really weird and not cohesive with the, the, the visual before. So my boss and I had to actually create this really um, inspired by the hero asset um, visual that looked super cohesive and seamlessly like blended into the commercial. So you might see it like it's, it's running right now, which is really exciting um, for triple serum for Lancome's triple serum product, but um, it seamlessly like blends in. So something like that is totally different than let's say a um, advertisement, a paid media asset that could be 
conversion driven versus consideration driven. So there's a lot of different purposes for media and especially with targeting. Um, so if you're somebody that has shopped a serum or has been searching, let's say you're searching vitamin C serum, you could be targeted based on that. And therefore we're gonna target you with an asset that's very clearly talking about ingredients, right? So instead of serving you this super, you know, heroic message of the whole product campaign, no, we're gonna serve you an asset that is speaking to the serum itself, but calling out hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, vitamin C in the product, because we know you're looking for an ingredient driven, um, a reason to purchase the product versus an organic social post could be way less branded. Um, you could have a swipe on skin and be super text, you know, texture focused. It could be sensorial, this like idea of like beauty ASMR of like bottle squeezing or like dropper onto skin because that person's already invested in the brand. They already like it enough to follow it. So you can get a little bit more trendy or less, you know, forcing the, the brand down your throat. It can be a little bit more fun um, and a little bit more personal. And then something like a magazine is going to definitely be celebrity focused if your brand has that. So like for Lancome, like our like for our Genifique serum, that's one of our product lines, like Zendaya is the um, ambassador dress for that product line. So that's what you would see if you're flipping open a magazine, it would be Zendaya's like, a, you know, beautiful photo holding the product with like very clear benefits, um, very marketing driven, but you know, it's, it's getting the message across in a two page ad. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to know your audience and like what the platform is because the content is definitely going to look different, but the message you hope resonates the same in the sense of they remember the product and they remember, you know, either the ingredient or the benefit in my case for skin. Yes. I love that. And I like how you talked about the conversion focus versus the consideration. So that kind of mm -hmm. goes back to people who just create content without any sort of intention or purpose behind right. it first identifying that. And then you're able to kind of clarify that messaging is so important because it's less right. of a shot in the dark and you have that driving purpose to who you're targeting, who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. So I love, love how you mentioned that for sure. Yeah. Marketing no, is just like good. all of funnel. Like you think of like an awareness asset is going to be so different than a consideration versus a conversion when your shopper is like ready to make the purchase and you've already kind of targeted them a few times and you know that they've likely seen the product multiple times. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we could literally talk marketing with you all day, but I do want to hit a little bit more on the career stuff. Um, yes. We all know, you know, all three of us have worked in social, we've worked in marketing content, all of that stuff. It can be hard to separate life with work and have that balance between the two. How over the years in your career, have you kind of honed in on that and figured out a way to balance out the two? Yeah. So this like hits home for me because I definitely struggled with this. Um, I think anyone that works in social media or has worked in social media can attest to the fact that it's very difficult to shut off, um, to turn it off because social never stops and there's always something that you could be doing. And that was a really hard thing for me to deal with. Um, when I ran social at Kiehl's for those almost three years, um, you never felt like you did enough and it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't my team's fault. It wasn't, you know, my fault or anything. It's just the fact that you could always be doing more. 
there's always one more person that's DMing you. There's always one other comment you could be responding to. There's a hashtag that you could have wrote, wrote on it. There's a, you know, somebody else you could have tagged. There's a trend going on that you could have tapped into that day. And it just never, ever, ever stops. And it kind of was like, it hit a point for me where I really struggled with, you know, ever putting my phone or using social media personally in a way that I was enjoying anymore. I kind of like stopped loving it because I was just doing it so focused on work that you start to just never know how to like decide between the two. I mean, I was logged into Kiel's account for three years and it had, you know, 960K followers. And at like any point, like I could have messed something up and it would have fallen on, you know, me and my team. Um, so that's stressful. And it doesn't stop at 6 p.m. because you're leaving the office. You're going to still get the comments all night long because it's a, you know, it's 24-7 going to be going on. So I really struggled with um, having a separation of work and um, personal life. I would like work on the weekends, respond to things because it would it would linger on Monday morning. I would feel like, oh wow, like if I don't do X, Y, and Z over the weekend, it, my Monday morning is going to be even more packed um, with more to do. So that was really hard. And also the fact that at a company or a brand, everyone is like, they're, you know, everyone runs their own social, right? So everyone has an opinion on social media and everyone thinks that they're an expert, even if they are not technically like a business expert in social media, people think they always know what's cool and what's trendy and everyone has a suggestion, which I'm somebody that loves to collaborate, but it is hard when people, you know, ping you all day long with ideas and, you know, you kind of want to be someone that they, you know, they understand that that's your wheelhouse, but everyone loves social and it's an exciting career. And I think people think it's super like fun and, um, not easy. I don't think anyone thinks it's easy, but it almost has this like reputation of being like the ideal job unless you're doing it. And then you realize, oh my God, there's a lot that goes into it that you didn't realize. So I struggled with it for a long time. And then I think you start to just compartmentalize things and you have to take into account of what is reasonable to accomplish in a day and accept that it all can't get done in a day. And it's not supposed to, because it can't, you physically can't, you'll burn out. And I had a VP, my VP, at Kiehl's, um, Mel was like a really amazing advocate for me because I was very stressed out all the time. And she was just like, you have to just let it go. It will always be there. It's never gonna stop. It's just like your endless scroll. At this point, you could never get to the bottom of your Instagram feed, which stresses me out in and of itself. Like, it's just always gonna be there. So you have to just um, create boundaries for yourself. And I think I've done a lot better of a job in this role um, which I started in July of like having a separation, you know, being mindful that your personal like life and your mental health is most important because that's how you're actually going to come to the table at work and be your most motivated self, your clearest headed, um, and just the best version of you. And you're not going to be that if you're super burnt out and stressed out and your teammates can feel that energy and you want to, you want to evoke like you know, positive energy and calm energy. And yeah. I 100% agree. <laughs> I remember in the first ever episode of Marketing Happy Hour, we did some like rapid fire questions. Yeah. And um, one of them was like, what's the best advice you've ever been given? I don't know if it was business related or just in yeah. general. And my answer was so interesting, like kind of weird because it sounds like a 
procrastination tactic, but I just, along those same lines, it can be done tomorrow. That's not to say something that's very, you know, like timely and just very important can get done tomorrow. Like you don't put everything off tomorrow, but, but you do have to create those boundaries on what really needs to be done today and what can be pushed off a little bit to to give yourself that room. I totally agree. And it's like, at the end of the day, like, this was like a phrase that goes around a lot here at L'Oreal, but like it's PR, not ER. Like you're not changing, you're not, you know, working on a human body. You're not like saving someone's life. Like what you do is of course important and it has a purpose and you should feel fulfilled doing it. But like at the end of the day, like no one is going to die because you didn't respond to a comment or a DM. Um, I mean, I think the whole other side of it and like during COVID and all of the, you know, crazy, you know, social issues that were going on the last few years. Like that's the other thing working in social is, and for a brand, you have to always make statements and you have to make them politically correct. And you need to like vet them through and everything needs to be super, super buttoned up. And that's a stress too, because at the end of the day, like I was a 26 year old and having to post about really crazy you know, pandemic issues, everything that was going on in the world. And that's a lot of responsibility. So you just have to, you have to give yourself grace and understand that it's okay. And like, exactly like it can be done tomorrow and things, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally relate. I had to do the same thing. Wild, (laughs) wild times to work in social media. (laughs) Crazy, but honestly, I feel like I grew so much. So I'm thankful. Yes, I feel the exact same. Um, well, I'd love to hear from you. What do you think is next for you and your career? I love that question because it's like, it could be any and everything. I am very open right now to things. Not that I want to, you know, do a major career shift, but I love content production. I love creative directing, um, and producing, producing content, um, I am not tied only to the beauty industry. So I would be open in the future to doing, you know, different industries or having my own like creative agency. I would love to have something that is my own one day, Um, not brand related, but more like if I was consulting for other brands or having a creative agency of my own and working with all different clients. Like I love that idea. Um, I'm really interested in the metaverse, to be honest, and like where I could, you know, potentially work in content production in that sense. So it's something that I am interested in exploring or understanding the way advertising is going to shift within um, like a technological shift in the coming years. So right now in my career, I want to be upskilled in those ways um, because I feel very confident right now in content production and I'm really enjoying that, but I think I want to evolve and, you know, understanding, you know, the ways technology is going to develop, but also, you know, the ways that we can make advertising even more emotional or, you know, felt by the consumer in a deeper or better way. So they understand before they make a purchase what, you know, what they're going to get out of it or an experience, um, what they'll experience. So, you know, that's kind of like a (laughs) big answer and a small answer because it's not super specific, but I'm open to a lot of different things. I do want to be a leader and I want to like have something of my own one day. I've always, always known that I want something that is not because I want it to be mine, but because I just have this innate feeling ever since I was a child that I would have like something of my own in that sense and feel really inspired by creating something um, from start to finish. Love that. Love that. And, and great advice in there just to kind of like 
maybe focus on where you're at, but like you said, upscale, try to do the best that you can in your yes. state. Cause I feel like as humans, we're always trying to think about what's next and rush towards <laughs> that and, um, speed up the process where right now where we're at, we can learn so much and do so much, make a big impact. So yes. that even just that little bit you shared was huge. So yeah. yeah. And I'm a big believer in that. One of my favorite books that I've ever read is called the power of now. And it talks about that, how you don't have a past because your past is like a complete, um, illusion of what you believe based on your emotional experience with it. And it's all like a retelling of a story that, you know, isn't actually your reality. So your past isn't exactly what you think it is and your future doesn't exactly exist because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All you have is the present day and the people that you're with in that very moment. And when you kind of start to live life thinking that like everything and anything is right here, right now, you take everything um, like deeper into heart and like you feel more proud of what you're doing in that exact moment because you really cannot control what is happening tomorrow. You can learn and you can be driven and, you know, focused on what you're doing, but, and have like, you know, an intention for the future, but, you know, you have to work in the present because that's all that you have. Yes. Yes. And especially with everything happening now in the world, we just have to remember life is precious. And so, Mm -hmm. You know, thinking about that, taking one day at a time, appreciating everything you have, the people you have is so important. So that's really great. I'll have to read uh, that book. That sounds awesome. We're closing up, which is so sad because this interview has been amazing. And this is a question that we love asking all of our speakers that we have on the show. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew early on in your career and what's kind of a piece or a lesson that you can share with everyone through that? Yes. Um, So there's a lot. And I think one of the biggest pieces of advice or lessons I learned is there is no harm in asking because for anything, it could be a promotion. It could be a salary increase. It could be an experience that you want to have with your team or, um, you know, that your boss allows you to have. If you're afraid to ask your situation remains the same because you're not going to have it. You're not going to get the increase. You're not going to have the promotion. You're not going to have the experience. So you're in the same state as you would be forever right? If you ask, you have the possibility to get what you want met, right? And if you don't, you know, the worst case scenario is the reality you're already living in when you ask. So if you ask for, let's say to be promoted and they're like, Hey, no, it's not going to happen right now, but let's talk about it in, you know, four months. Okay, great. At least you now have the knowledge that it can be a conversation to have in four months or, they give you the promotion because you made a great case for yourself. And now you got what you wanted. There's never a harm in asking if you do it in a respectful way and like, you know, a smart way because you believe you deserve that. So I think that's a huge lesson that I learned is that most people are willing to listen for, you know, to what your proposition is. And also like the thing that I would say is be your biggest advocate. No one is thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. So if you want an opportunity, if you want something new, you want to raise, you want this or that, your boss, your team, your, you know, anything like, of course they want the best for you, but you are not their priority every single day. They're not thinking about your financials. They're not thinking about your career path. You have to advocate for yourself um, and be your biggest fan and know the reasons why you deserve X, Y, and Z. That that is amazing, amazing advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Ash, done amazing. Amazing. You really have touched on so many value add things for our audience. I'm Aww. very excited for them to hear this interview. Um, Thank you. So we have-
close. So where can everybody find you, follow you, keep up with you? Are you on LinkedIn? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. This was really, really fun. And I think what you guys are doing is incredible. So you guys should be really proud of yourselves too. Um, where you can find me, I'm like at Ashley Head everywhere, like Instagram, um, yeah, LinkedIn. I spell my name really weird. It's spelled A-S-H-L-I-E. So I guess that's one thing to know. It's a very strange spelling of Ashley, but yeah, Ashley Head everywhere and anywhere. <laughs> awesome. We'll have it in the show notes and, and all over social media when we promote this too. So thank you so much for joining us again. This was amazing. Thank, thank you. you. What an amazing interview. Don't mind me, but over the next several weeks, you can find me diving into all things metaverse before this thing really takes off. Huge thanks to Ashley for joining us on this episode of Marketing Happy Hour. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate and leave a review. As always, follow along with us on Instagram at Marketing Happy Hour. That's at Marketing Happy HR. Catch you next time.